services are spookier in the dark than a church building, especially when a cemetery is right next door to it. When I was a student minister at Mount Vernon, often I would work a little bit later than, that, you know, because teenagers were coming by, you know, after football practice or things like that. And in the summertime, that really wasn't much of an issue to be in the building alone. But once the time went back to standard time and it got dark at 3.15, <laughs> it was very spooky to be in that church building all alone. And any noise, who is, now I know th there's no telling how many pistols are in this room right now, <laughs> but I, I've never owned uh, a pistol, I use these two guns right here, <laughs> and that's all the self-defense that I really worry about, and so I would be sitting in the office and I would hear, boom, <laughs> I bet that's nothing. Boop. <laughs> there was a church building in Tennessee where I spoke. And the people were joking. They didn't really believe it. But they made jokes about their church building being haunted. They, they said that it was haunted by this old, um, older lady who had passed away. And did not want them to renovate the sanctuary. But they did. And she died shortly after that. And they said, we have all kinds of unexplained things happen. We have the children's sermon and there's a bug on the floor. We have different types of things and we cannot explain it. It's just mysterious and it happens. And they attributed it to her. Well, I don't know which translation of the Bible that you read, but if you are a King James person, when you read references to the three members of the Trinity, you read Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, the more modern translations use the word spirit instead of ghost, but we're finishing today a three-part series on the three members of the Trinity, the Father, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago on Father's Day and how God is a perfect father to us. Last week, we looked at the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, our Savior, and his perfect love and his perfect power. And today, I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of ideas that I want to say before I get into the message which we're going to look at from John 16. First, the Holy Spirit is a person just like the Father and the Son. The, the Holy Spirit isn't just because of the, his name, isn't an it like the force in the Star Wars movie. He's not some impersonal power that's out moving around and, and causing things to happen. In the same way that we would never say, uh, speaking of God the Father, well, it is going to do this for us, or for the Son, it died on a cross for us. We, we don't use the word it to refer to the Holy Spirit. He is a he just like the Father and the Son are. The Father, Son, and Spirit all are God, and each one is a person. The second thing that I want to say, I, I want you to look with me in John chapter 14 to give you a little background to what we're going to look at in John chapter 16. 
In John 14, Jesus had gathered all of the disciples together. In fact, uh, beginning in John chapter 13, all the way through the conclusion of John 17, even though those five chapters are fairly lengthy, everything within that, that five-chapter period takes place in a very brief period of time. It starts at the moment that Jesus gets the disciples together in the upper room where he washes their feet to show them the type of servant lifestyle that he wanted them to live. And it concludes with Jesus' praying, Father, may they be one. And even though you go John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you may think, well, that probably happened over a period of several days or a week. It really happened in a very compressed time just on that evening before Jesus laid down his life for us. And so the mood in the room became very somber as Jesus said, I'm going away. And the disciples were, no, Jesus, we've, we've given our lives to, to follow you. you. You can't leave us. No, please don't leave us. And then this, this background verse in John chapter 14, verse 16, is going to lead us into John chapter 16 that we're going to look at. So John 14, 16 says... And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, that another counselor is the Holy Spirit. Jesus kind of dropped that into the conversation and said, I'm coming back to this later, but I, but I want you to know I'm, I'm putting this here now for reference point. You're going to get another counselor. Now, in English, we only have one word for another. And that's the word another. We, we don't have distinguishing um, marks. But you, I know you don't care about all of this, but it's important to understand the New Testament was written in Greek. And they don't have just one word for another. They have two words for another. One word for another is another of a different kind. And one word for another is another of the same kind. Jesus chose to use here the word another of a same kind. Let me give you an example. Suppose you go to someone's home tomorrow for a 4th of July picnic. And while you're there, uh, before the hamburgers or the hot dogs are grilled, let's say that they're offering snacks, appetizers. And maybe they have some trail mix or something like that. And they say, would you like some trail mix before we, before we have um, the hamburgers and hot dogs? And then you say, I am allergic to peanuts. And so I can't eat the trail mix. Do you have another snack? Well, then that's, that would be another of a different kind. Give me something that, that is different. Do you have any chips or cookies or something like that? Do you have another one, but another one that is different? But suppose after the hamburgers and hot dogs are grilled, they say, well, we've got some brownies and ice cream. And you dig in and you, you eat the brownie and you say, hey, that was really good. Do you have another? You're saying, I want another of the same kind. Give, bring me another brownie. I know I've had seven, but bring me another one. 
And what you're saying is, I, I don't want another of a different kind. I'm not saying, hey, I, I've had this brownie, but now I would like some watermelon. You're saying, bring me another of the very same thing that I just had. Do you see the difference in those two? One, another of a different kind. I'm allergic to the, to the nuts in the trail mix, so can, can you bring me another snack but something different? Or, hey, I really, really liked that brownie. I would like another of the exact same that I just had. Jesus here said, you're going to get another of the exact same that you just had. You're not going to get another counselor that is different from me. You're going to get one that is just as gracious, just as powerful, just as wise, just as loving, just as insightful. The, the another counselor that is coming is going to be another like me, not different from me, another like me. And so, with that, with that little nugget dropped earlier in the conversation, when we weave our way through and get over into John chapter 16, Jesus talked more specifically about this ghost, this Holy Ghost, this Holy Spirit. And so, let's read together, beginning in John chapter 16, Actually, you know what, let's just back up uh, two verses into John chapter 15, verse 26, because this kind of introduces the subject. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. Then in chapter 16, verse 1. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. In other words, Jesus said, look, the next few hours are really going to be hectic. What's going to happen is going to dis disrupt your lives. In fact, going forward, there's going to be a lot of persecution. So I've been telling you all these things so that you don't fall away, so that you don't abandon me. Verse 2. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me. And not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So all of those verses kind of lay the groundwork because Jesus notices how sad they are. He notices how lost they seem, how, how desperate, how, how at the point of despair they are. He's, he's saying, look, I understand. I see it. I know what's going on here. And then down in verse 7, that's where he picks up here. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you, this another counselor of the very same type. Verse 8, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. I don't want to be shooting water out of a fire hydrant that you can't absorb. He said, so you're going to get this in stages. When the spirit of truth comes there in verse 13, he will guide you into all truth. 
For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. Now, there are all kinds of lessons about the Holy Spirit. Just as when we talked about the Father, we didn't exhaust everything that we can know about God the Father. And last week when we talked about Jesus, we didn't, we didn't you know, talk about every verse that says anything about Jesus. And so I don't in any mean, by any means want to communicate today that, hey, uh, this is all that you need to know about the Holy Spirit either. But there are three ideas in this passage that we can bring out that talk about how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. First, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Now, in John chapter 16, beginning in verse 8, Jesus specifically is talking about how the Holy Spirit convicts people who are not Christians about their sin. In other words, when, when a sermon is preached or maybe when you are at work and you're sharing about your own relationship with Christ with someone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is the one who begins doing the work inside their hearts. He's, he's the one who begins doing the work saying, hey, you are a sinner. And you need the death of Jesus Christ to save you. Isn't that a relief to know that, that we don't have to be the people with the skills to be able to talk the other person into receiving Christ? The Holy Spirit is the one who does that work. And so here specifically, Jesus said, when preachers preach, when Sunday school teachers teach, when, when followers of mine have conversations and they are talking with people who don't know me, that, that sense in their hearts of, I need to pay attention to this. I, I need to listen to this. I am guilty of sin. That isn't us doing that. That is God doing that. That is the Holy Spirit working in their lives, convicting them of sin. But once we become Christians, once we surrender our lives to Jesus... Once we recognize Jesus did die on a cross for our sins and rose again to give us the power to live as transformed creatures, when we do wrong, the Holy Spirit's convicting work continues in our lives. He begins working in our consciences to say, that isn't right. That don't do that. No, 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 don't act that way. Or you did act wrongly. You need to apologize for the way that you acted the Holy Spirit is the one who works in our consciences to let us know that we are deviating from the path that God wants. Now, our highway system has a really good analogy of the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. When you are driving in your automobile and you maybe are looking at a road sign over on the left saying, Oh, there's a two-for-one special at Hardee's and you're looking, not paying attention to the road, or if you are looking at your phone, which is what lots of people in Columbus do, look at that cat, he's playing with the yarn. And so when you start drifting, if you drift over toward the center line, those little reflectors are there. And you, your car will experience a bump, bump, bump to let you know that you're veering to the left. But if you start veering to the right where they have dug those canyons 
out on the right side of the road when you go boom, 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 boom. And both of those, both of those warnings on the road let you know you are, you are veering out of, you are deviating from the path that you need to travel. Pay attention and get back on the right pathway. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. When we begin being unkind instead of kind or, or stingy instead of generous, in any aspect of life, when we begin veering out of the pathway that God wants us to travel, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts with a bump, 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 or bump, 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 bump to let us know, get back. Get your attention back on the path that you need to travel. That is the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been sitting in a church building and heard the sermon and said, Who told him? Who, who told him? I was at camp in Louisiana this week, and uh, on Wednesday evening, I preached a, a message. And after the, after the service... Uh, one of the chaperones from one of the churches came and said, three girls in our group asked us, did you tell him? Did you tell him that we were fighting? She said, I didn't say anything. They thought, because of the specificity of the message, that someone had to have alerted me Hey, you need to preach to these three girls. I know that there are 400 people in here, but you need to preach to those. That's how they felt. They felt the message was specifically directed to them. But that wasn't me. I didn't even know these girls. That was the Holy Spirit convicting them of their sin. And so one of the ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives is he alerts us when we are getting off of the path that God wants us to travel so that we can get back on the right path. And that's what Jesus talked about here. He says he does it in the larger sense with people who don't know Christ, saying, hey, you need to trust Jesus as your Savior. But his ministry continues in us by saying, get back on that right pathway. Well, then Jesus said, remember I read to you, he said, look, there are a lot of things right now that you can't bear, you, don't, you, don't, you can't absorb everything that I'm telling you there in verse 12. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. Jesus said, look, right now I know that some of these things aren't settled in your mind and, and you need to kind of process and debrief some of this. He said, I know that there are some things that I'm saying and they seem a little bit cryptic and you can't really figure out what I, what I mean by this. He said, but I'm not going to leave you scratching your head saying, well, what did he mean by that? He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And he's going to help you sift through the confusing, the puzzling statements, the mysterious things that I'm saying right now so that you will be able to understand them. So the Holy Spirit not only convicts us of sin, he also helps us understand the truth. He helps us understand what God has said to us. Now, I may be the only person, but is there anyone here who's ever read a section out of the Bible and said, I really don't know what that means? I mean, it happens to me a lot. Well, one of the ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives 
He's the one who, who inspired this book. And so we say, now, Lord, I really don't know what this means. Help me understand it. I remember distinctly the very first time that, that I experienced this. I was riding with, uh, with my mom, dad, little brother on family vacation. I was, uh, you know, maybe 10th, 11th grade, somewhere like that. And for some reason, I was reading my Bible as we were driving. It may have been what was going on inside the car that said, Lord, I cannot deal with these pagans, so please help me. But I specifically was reading Psalm 1. And in Psalm 1, the writer was talking about the blessings of those who, who meditate on God's Word, how, how they're, they're like trees that bear fruit in season, and, and these trees don't go through dry periods because they're planted by streams of water. But there's a verse in Psalm 1 that says, and the wicked people won't stand in the judgment. And I thought, now, Lord, that doesn't seem right. It seems like the wicked people should be in judgment. It's, I mean, it seems like, God, there are a lot of mean people in this world. You've got, to, you've got to bring justice to this world. Why, God, why would you say the wicked will not stand in judgment? And I remember distinctly, we had a silver, I, I mean, I can go through the detail. We had a silver Impala with burgundy seats. And I was sitting there. And all of a sudden, the light came on. I said, oh, I'm missing the emphasis. It's the wicked will not stand in judgment. It's not the wicked will not stand in judgment. The wicked will, they will be so overcome, they won't be able to stand. They will be knocked to their knees. And I said, that's what that means. It's not saying that the wicked won't ever go through judgment. It's saying that they are going through judgment, and it will be so righteous and holy that they will not be able to stand. That was the Holy Spirit. I didn't, I didn't automatically grow smarter in that 15 seconds. That was the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit guides us into understanding and processing. Here's what God's Word says. But the Holy Spirit's discerning work goes beyond just helping us know what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit also guides us into the truth of what God is doing in our lives. We go through lots of confusing circumstances. At least I do. I, I go through all kinds of situations where I say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? Why aren't you doing something else? God, this, this timing seems really unusual. What, what is happening? The Holy Spirit is the one who says, Psst, psst, let me tell you what's going on right now. Or, let me tell you what was going on when you didn't understand it. Now look backward. Look in the rearview mirror and see how all of that fit together. So the Holy Spirit also guides us in understanding truth from His Word and in the ways that God is working in our lives. And Jesus said, He's going to be with you. He's another one just like me, and He will help you with that as well. And then the last idea that I want you to see here is that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. If you look in verse 14, Jesus said, He will glorify me because He will take from what is mine and declare it to you. In fact, you can link 
verse 14 back up with verse 26 of chapter 15 where Jesus said, um, he will testify about me. I forget the author. I meant to look it up this week, but when I was in seminary, our theology professor uh, assigned to us a book called The Shy Member of the Trinity. And the book was on the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the spotlight and he shines it on Jesus. He says, he's the king of kings. Everybody pay attention. Jesus is the one who died on a cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit is the one who exalts and lifts up Jesus Christ. He magnifies Jesus. He willingly says, there is the one that you should worship. There's the one who died on a cross for our sins. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on Jesus. During, our, during my high school days over in West Point, I was a part of the school play every single year. And it wasn't really because I had a love of acting, though I was incredibly talented at it. It wasn't because I had a love of, of the extra practice hours. It was because there were a lot of girls in the play. And so if they were going to be at practice for hours, I was going to be at practice for hours. Well, some of, some of my classmates wanted to be at play practice because of, of all the people who were there, but they did not want to memorize lines or, or things like that, and so they were part of the crew. They were part of the, you know, moving the stage props in and out or things like that, or they might be in charge of the spotlight. And so the person at the back, whoever that was, had a very important role. He was behind the scenes, but his role was very important. Because wherever in that auditorium the spotlight shined, that's where everybody was supposed to look. If, if on stage something significant was happening here, but the spotlight was shining over here, people's attention would be over here with the minor characters doing something, and they might miss what the major characters were doing. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit shines the spotlight on me. He says, repent of your sins. Place your faith in Jesus. Turn to him. He will save you from your sins. And he glorifies Jesus in our lives by magnifying him. So the Holy Spirit is just as vital. He's not a minor member. He's not a lesser member of the Trinity. Just as important as the Father and the Son. And sometimes he doesn't get the attention maybe that the other two do. But he works in our lives. In fact, he's the one who is in the ongoing way working in our lives because he is the another counselor of the same type. Now, Mr. Charlie and our John are going to come and lead us in our closing song of commitment today. And perhaps God has a specific way that he want, wants you to respond. Every time God's word is opened and taught, God calls for a response. James chapter 1 verse 22 says that none of us is allowed to be only a person who hears the word. He must be one who does the word. 
And so perhaps there is a specific way that God has spoken to you today and you say, I'd like to take a step of obedience in this direction. I always am available if there are people here, man, woman, college student, teenager, boy or girl, and you have not taken a first step of faith to receive Christ as Savior. I'll be standing here for a moment as we sing our hymn of commitment and then we will have a few things to close. Let's all stand together, please.